Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the World Football Summit podcast. I'm your host, Jaime, CMO at World Football Summit. A couple of months ago, we published an article on our blog sharing five investment trends shaping football's future. These included multi-club ownership models, American investors, SPACs, technology, women's football, and much more. And all of these were key topics that we covered during WFS Europe. And today, we are bringing you a different kind of episode where we have rescued some of the best quotes from a few panels that hopefully will help you better understand where the industry is heading. You will hear thoughts from several leaders, including Alexis Ohanian, Julie Ehrman, Maggie Murphy, Andrea Eglund, Javier Sobrino, or Jordan Gardner. So if you really want to understand what the experts envision for the future, make sure you stick around for the entire episode. And remember, World Football Summit Africa is right around the corner. You can't miss it. Head over to our website, africa.worldfootballsummit.com and buy your ticket. Again, that's africa.worldfootballsummit.com. And with that, enjoy this episode looking into the major investment trends in the football industry. We start things off with Jordan Gardner, American investor and former chairman at FC Helsingor, reflecting on why American investors are coming into European football with such a strong interest. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen a lot of macro trends over the last couple of years. You know, we were in Denmark since 2019, and I think, you know, the price points to get into sports and investment in sports in North America are getting incredibly exorbitant. You know, MLS franchises now are being valued on average at four to $500 million. You have other major American sports, you know, obviously significantly higher than that. So. I think you look at Europe and European football and you can say, look, we can get into certainly smaller leagues for much lower price points. You can get clubs promoted. You can uh, create business models that actually make financial sense. Um, and I think there's obviously there's other areas. You know, More recently, you're looking at the strength of the US dollar right now versus the pound and versus the euro, saying, look, there's, there's a huge opportunity right now to capitalize on that by putting money into European sports. But then there's an element where these investors need to blend into the culture and actually think about more than just making money. There needs to be an element of passion towards the sport business or the team that they acquire. Look, I think um, I've always been pretty honest and transparent. A lot of American groups aren't sensitive to the local cultures. They kind of come in with an American sports mindset of saying, hey, we've run, I've owned or I've run a club in the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball. That's going to translate to European football. And I think what many people underestimate is the just intricacies of European football, everything from relegation to the player sales uh, piece of the business to the passion piece. So, you know, I've, to Jose Maria's point, I think, you know, my personal philosophy is that you should not go into European football as a foreign investor just to make money. There are better ways to, to, to put your money in the world, right? Whether it's the stock market or private equity or venture, you know, these clubs need to be run like businesses. They need to be run efficiently. Uh, but you have to understand that something that is an investor or a CEO or a director in these clubs, you have to have a passion for it. I genuinely was passionate about our club in Denmark. I'm passionate about Danish football. I watch all the games on television at three o'clock in the morning, right? I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't care, right? So I think you have to find this balance, which I think a lot of American groups have a difficult time doing. There is a tricky balance between getting the right investment and running a club successfully. Javier Sobrino, partner at Acer Ventures, weighs in on the matter although he recognizes difficulty due to the complexity of the European football ecosystem. And what's more, where does the conversation around investment leave the football fan, which is, in the end, the central element of any club's strategy? It is indeed tricky, because at the end of the day, 
fans are the reason why a club sustains itself. But one could argue that sometimes they do not really understand or prioritize the business side of the team that they support, and, and some decisions that could make sense are not approved by them, leaving the club in a compromised position. That's probably the key point in investment in, uh, in Europe, in, in football. And actually, yesterday we had a workshop here in World Football Summit and we were talking about this precisely. And the point was, that's really, really difficult. Because at the end of the day, regulations are completely different in different countries. Motivations of the owners are completely different as well. So uh, from a purely investor perspective, that's absolutely, absolutely difficult and something that should be done because at the end, there is, there is no way to reconcile all those interests. And to, also to Jose Maria's point, what is the role of the fund on, in, in all this uh, scheme? Uh, it's not easy as well, because we are seeing that in, at some stages people are saying that the fund, they have to be, and they should be in the center of the club, but what does it mean? Because from an investment perspective, obviously your funds are your, sometimes are your partners, but mainly are, should be your clients as well. So how you interact with that and, and how you manage that trade-off. So, but from Javier's point of view, financial sustainability is the key for the industry to sustain itself. And there are clubs that are not prioritizing that. So effectively, there could be many growth plans put in place, technologies to invest, players to acquire, and so on. But the numbers need to add up. The key element in the industry right now is financial sustainability. And if you revise all the P&Ls of the key clubs in Europe, not that many, are able to, 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 to make money. And I'm not saying that the key goal of a club is, is to make money, but the key goal of a club, and this is something that we all can agree, is to be financially sustainable in order to do different things. Once they will satisfy the members, others will satisfy the investor, others will satisfy whoever stakeholder is the key one for, for any of them. But if we, as an industry, we are not financially sustainable, we have a big issue, and actually, we, right now, we are not financially sustainable, I mean, as, as a whole industry. An interesting perspective comes from Jose Maria Cruz, general manager at Sevilla FC, who understands well that the priority is to be profitable and really getting a sense of your dimensions and not go too much above expectations or be too ambitious. Be realistic. Probably Sevilla FC has been the only club paying dividend to the shareholders Three years, three consecutive years, and for me it has been very, very important because uh, you know sometimes you feel that you must uh, spend all the money in football players. You have to pay to, to them and to the agents everything, and uh, you forgot to the shareholders, which are also relevant. The problem is that when you believe that you are able to compete at a, a top level consistently and you invest more and more money in acquiring players because you have the illusion of being more competitive. You forget your size, you forget your structure and you start spending more money than you earn. Football, especially in Spain, in the first and in the second division, is able to be not only sustainable but also profitable if you are able to analyze your possibilities and to see which is your limit. If you believe that you can pay more money in order to pass from one level to other and to be consistently in this uh, high level, 
you are uh, probably starting to be in a mistake because you need to analyze which your possibilities are. Uh, sometimes you are, uh, uh, your maximum level is to be able to compete consistently in European competitions. Sometimes it's only to stay in the first division, not to be relegated to the second division. You must analyze which are your possibilities and trying to be consistent in a long-term period. But how do you maximize return on investment? Jordan Gartner gives his opinion, which fundamentally relies on looking for an exit. And again, understanding who you are as a club and perhaps more importantly, who you're not. Yeah, it's a good question. I think the, the challenge is a lot of investment groups don't even really think about it realistically, as you said. Um, I think exiting is really the way that you can actually make a profit in this business. It doesn't always happen that way. Um, I think the challenge you have is, you know, very few people in this industry have, you know, are very forward thinking in terms of thinking uh, a year, two years, three years ahead. So for instance, if I had a club in Segunda maybe or the championship and I did everything right and was running the club efficiently and got it promoted, well, maybe that would be a time for me to think about exiting quickly, right? Because all of a sudden my asset went from here to here. Um, I think very few people think of that. They kind of get caught up in the emotion and the passion of we just got it promoted. And as Jose Maria said, maybe we'll go for Europe now. Maybe we'll be in the Champions <laughs> League, right? So you got to sit back and take a step back and say who we are as a club. We took the club from the bottom of the second division up to the first division, whatever league that is. And this is our opportunity to turn this into a real return for our investors. Dividends for most clubs are not realistic. Um, so I think that's, that's the piece. But in terms of selling a club, exiting, that's something you have to do six to 12 months going backwards in terms of how long it takes for the new buyers to, to do due diligence and make sure there's a right process in place. Many leagues have you know, a director's <laughs> test. So the issue is even if you get promoted and you decide the next day you want to sell, you're unlikely to be able to sell in any short period of time. So maybe it takes you three to six months to sell the club and all of a sudden you're in a relegation zone. So now your club isn't worth nearly what it was. So the point being, you always have to be very forward thinking in this industry, especially if you're trying to run it like a business and you don't have unlimited funds and unlimited amounts of cash to burn. Um, but I, I think that's the way groups are starting to think about it. If football properties really want to adopt a business-minded approach, they will need to embrace innovation. One of the benefits of the multi-club ownership model is that it helps those groups test new technologies in specific markets or pilot programs before extending it to the entire group. Effectively, it's a way to identify new sources of revenue without compromising too much risk. You were mentioning about returns of, uh, on investment. Um, I fully agree with, with, with Jordan on, on, on kind of being smart enough in order to detect a club that is under, underperforming from management perspective and obviously from sports perspective and being able to grow that club. Mm. And this means that you should create a long-term, long-term strategy. But I think there is another way uh, to leverage the investment in football, which is um, using the club or the structure of clubs, if you have different clubs. But if you have a club as, a, as an ecosystem for innovation and investing in companies related to sport, and this is very well related with what we did at Barca Innovation Hub back in mm -hmm. 2017. This is very well related to what we do at Acer, which is we run leads together with other investors, but uh, surrounding leads and surrounding Bars Innovation Hub and, and other initiatives that are right now in the market, you are in a privileged position in order to detect other types of investments that are uh, sport related or sports, entertainment, healthcare related, 
but they are not sport properties. So you have much more flexibility on other investments. You are in a privileged position in order to leverage those investments. And obviously, as a financial investor, uh, look for return in those investments. Create that ecosystem. Create that uh, acting, the club acting as a lab, as a living lab, in order to test technologies, in order to develop technologies. And then your flexibility there will be much higher. This train of thought was also evident in the panel where Maggie Murphy from Lewis FC participated in with Ebru Koktal from Women in Football and Elise Kosaifi from Portis, which analyzed the keys to making women's football sustainable in the long run. And the final thing for us is we're kind of a club with a personality. I think people gen generally know what we stand for. Five years ago, we became the first club in the world to split revenue equally between the men's side and the women's side. But because we don't have the uh, we don't have this heavy brand, you, know, you must do this, these are your KPIs, this is how you must look. We can test and pilot and be creative in our match day experience. We can test and pilot and be creative in, in other forms of, of revenue and income generation. So even just in the last year, we've started monetizing our leadership, a leadership program, because so many people were coming to ask us for help in how to change their businesses that we just thought, hang on a sec, this is a new revenue income stream for us, which maybe other clubs can't do. So I guess for us, it's constantly thinking about uh, being innovative, different, having a personality and marking ourselves out. And that's the way that we are going to try and survive as well as thrive. Diversifying is key in the multi-club ownership model. But again, the strategy and the purpose need to be at the core. Then the execution through acquisition of clubs or technologies has to support that strategy. The smartest way to do it is, is to invest in different markets that have no relationship whatsoever among them. Um, and, and actually there are some markets right now that are becoming very attractive, like Brazil, for instance, and, and all the efforts that uh, CBF and, 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 and the new project with, uh, with La Liga in, uh, in Brazil I think that the value of those of those clubs are, are going to be increased. Um, this is not the kind of a right or wrong um, answer. It's, it's a question of what is the purpose of the owner in order to invest in that, those type of properties. I think it does make sense to have a football uh, network of, of clubs if you are able to exploit those synergies the right way. And this is, and, and you can write this in a PowerPoint presentation, and and, mm. and, and everybody does it. Uh, but the point is, what are those synergies and what is the value that you create uh, instead of investing in just one club, as Jordan was mentioning before, just one club and, and trying to create value in, the, in that club? I think there are opportunities, definitely. And it's not only a question of players transfer and, or be in a privileged position in order to transfer those players or bring those players from one market to, an, to another, which definitely uh, can create value. I think that's more in the sense of uh, and coming back to the previous point on innovation and technology, if you are able to run a network of clubs and you are able to implement those technologies and use players and all the assets of those of those clubs as um, as the key elements in order to test, in order to use those resources as a living lab, that can create a lot of value. And this is a, this is a trend that I think it's it's going to be consolidated in the market. And instead of financial investors kind of testing those companies where they invest and start knocking at the doors of different clubs, 
if you already have a network and you can test those technologies in those clubs and you can build up and contribute to those companies to grow, I think that's a really good idea. Technology certainly seems like a reliable source to generate growth, as long as the clubs understand their strategy and how the tech stack supports that strategy, not defines it. Sevilla FC understood this, and this is the reason why they decided to partner with Bengaluru FC rather than other clubs in India with, let's call it, higher pedigree. Why? Jose Maria Cruz explains. Our interest was to put together football and technology. For this reason, we, didn't, we were not interested in Delhi or in Mumbai or in Calcutta. We were interested in Bengaluru because it's the city in India where technology is very, very important. The question is, is multi-club ownership here to stay? I think it's the future, yes. And I think the savvy operators, certainly obviously City Football Group and Red Bull have shown proof of concept, are going to have a lot of success. But I do think there's a lot of groups out there, certainly uh, from my perspective, American groups as well, that are very just deal obsessed and they're just buying clubs to buy clubs. And there's not a lot of cohesive strategy in terms of understanding how the puzzle pieces fit together. And what about American investors or other stakeholders? Are we heading towards disruption? Will unexpected players enter the industry? Yeah, I, I think so. Yes, absolutely. Probably the point is whether there will be some European capital as well, uh, even from corporate venture. Uh, I think that companies which interest in sport is massive, and all the disruptions that we are suffering in the in the in the sector, like D two C, are going to change the landscape. For instance, from the broadcasters. And, and probably it would be the right timing for broadcasters to start thinking on what will be next for them. And perhaps it's a question of them investing in, in not in properties, but in leagues in order to start managing other way. So I think there are very, very interesting uh, movements right now in the industry. Uh, we have, been, we have witnessing, witnessed those investments from the US, but I think other investors from other strategic perspectives. But again, this episode would not be complete without speaking about women's football. In a previous episode of the World Football Summit podcast, we shared a panel where Andrea Eklund from The Zone summarized well when she said that the momentum is now unstoppable. Honestly, check that out, because that was a brilliant panel. We face the same challenges as in men's football, though. Financial performance really needs to be at the core of what women's football teams look to accomplish especially now that investment is starting to come in in significant amounts. Ebru Koksal from Women in Football is also of this opinion. For me, uh, I think what will make the system grow in a healthy way is a fair distribution of resources. And what I mean by that is um, I think still globally only 2% of the value and money that football generates is going into women's football. And that 2% obviously is not enough to achieve that sustainability status or financial health status. So the, the part that would break that vicious cycle is, is the investment part first. So um, either by commercial partners, which we've seen significantly happening um, during the Euros for uh, Champions League, for some of the top leagues. And um, that is allowing for more visibility for the game, more than anything. 
And once the game is more visible, women's game, then more people realize that it's actually a quite attractive product and they start following it. So you start building the audiences, whether they are on TV, online, or coming to your stadium. Um, so seeing more people on the stands will bring in more sponsors, more broadcasters, because they don't want to see an empty stadium, right? Um, so that then brings obviously more investment into the game, whether it's by owners or private equity investors, or once again, commercial investors. And that spirals you up to better professionalism, you know, better infrastructure, and uh, also increases participation in the game because there are um, still so many people who want to play, but they don't have access. So uh, in that, uh, making sure that, first of all, when a girl is interested, she's able to go and get a first taste, start continuing to play, and then find the right pathways within her country to be able to make her way up to the elite game. But it starts with, again, the decision maker. Um, who is making that decision at your league, at your club, at your federation, at your confederation on how to use those resources? Does this mean, though, that a women's football club, or any club for that matter, needs to be focused only on profits? Not at all. This is an amazing opportunity to build clubs rooted on purpose, on empowering fans, and the community, and looking to make an impact way beyond the game. Perhaps the best example of this is the trendiest, or arguably, the most popular women's football team in the United States, Angel City FC. We welcome Julie Ehrman to the WFS Europe stage, and the following quote really illustrates the approach they had when building the team, trying to balance purpose and profit. When I asked them what was most important, Natalie said from the beginning that mission was going to be core to what we wanted to build. Um, really, you know, honestly, I had no idea what that meant, right? You typically do mission and purpose after, right? It's an after. It's an afterthought. Um, it, it, you know, very few organizations that lead with mission that have a goal of being profitable, right? Um, and so we, from the beginning, knew that we wanted to be bigger than the sport. We wanted to be bigger than the game. Um, it was a really unique moment in time after the 2019 World Cup, where the U.S. women won again. Um, and there was a lot going on um, with Time's Up and supporting women. And, um, and so we wanted to build an organization where mission and capital could coexist, where we would lead with passion and purpose to drive to profitability, where we'd never have to sacrifice um, purpose for profit. And you might ask, like, why is profit so important to you? Um, and I've never yet talked about soccer. Um, but profit was important to us because we were doing it so differently. We are three female founders. We are a majority female ownership group. Um, we were building Angel City as if we were a startup, raising money into our success versus asking for capital calls in our failure, and knowing that the majority of sports teams don't make money. The majority of sports teams you know, were owned by a single family or a private equity shop. The idea was that if we were going to do differently and lead with purpose, if we didn't make money, then we weren't really changing the conversation. We weren't changing the dialogue. We were like everybody else. So there was no way to say that this is the right way to do it going forward. And so we had to have a lens to how do we do both? And it really was transformative because every single thing we do, we think about 
How do we set higher expectations on and off the pitch? How do we support our players on and off the pitch? How do we have a positive impact in the community? And how do we use this incredible ownership group of actors and, act and athletes and you know, media executives to leverage their platform to build attention and awareness for Angel City? Because if we can do that, then we can drive the most impact and then ultimately the most revenue. And so, you know, full circle, Angel City's ambition is to be a global brand. Um, if we're a global brand, we can have the most impact, we can draw the most attention, we can drive the most revenue, and then we can give it back. Um, and we do that, and we can talk about it later, but we do it through our sponsorship model, we do it through our ticket sales. You know, every single activity that we do has some element of um, positive impact in our community. Perhaps, though, the most impactful quote came from Alexis Ohanian, founder at 776 and co-founder of Reddit, during the act where it was publicly announced that one football would acquire Gloria. And I think what is going to become abundantly clear, certainly in the United States, and I think increasingly all over the world, is that women are a profit center, a massive, women's football is a massive profit center. And I, I fully expect in 10 years for the, the NWSL, for women's professional soccer in America, to be bigger than the MLS. Now that is a clear benchmark for women's football. What are your thoughts? Too ambitious? Can it or should it aim higher? Or do you have any comment about any of the thoughts of this episode? If so, reach out on social media and let us know. Before we go, remember, you can subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform of your choice. And now you can watch all of the WFSUR panels on our official YouTube channel. And we are a little over one month away from our first ever World Football Summit Africa, which is on November 16th and 17th. If you want to be part of the collective that will help shape the African football industry into an instrumental player in the global football scene, make sure you head over to our website and buy your ticket right now. Remember, africa.worldfootballsummit.com. That's africa.worldfootballsummit.com. We really hope to see you there. Nothing else from my side. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the World Football Summit podcast. I hope you like this new format. Have a great rest of your day, and we hope to see you next time.